Well, I've spent most of my life, more of my life, uh, as part of this church, Westside Church, than I have not part of this church. But it's happened in different phases. It's not been all in a row. So many of you might know, I grew up here, spent most of my childhood here uh, from when I was about two till I was in high school, partway through, and then, um, and then my family moved to Burlington, just down the highway, um, and I spent probably a decade um, not here at Westside. And then, when I was a young adult, I came back, mostly for a girl. My girlfriend at the time was here, and uh, we decided we wanted to do ministry together and be in the same place worshiping together as we got more and more serious. Um, and then, uh, and then I, I decided I was going to go into ministry and started looking into what seminary was going to look like, and actually then again went out, lived in the States for a short amount of time to finish seminary, and then came back again, and that girlfriend and I got married here at Westside on this stage. And um, we were ready to take on the world. We were ready to go wherever God called us to. Uh, we were looking like anywhere in North America we were open to and uh, ended up um, here. <laughs> and have been here ever since and now in a pastoral role. Here's what's been interesting. So I have therefore been at Westside as a child looking through a child's eyes, then as a young adult and then in a pastoral role. Three very different ways of looking at a church and experiencing the church. But here's something that stayed the same in all the, the good iterations of Westside, and there's ups and downs in every church, but one of the things that Westside has done for my, my entire life, looking different in different times though, is really making sure and having a heart for the next generation, for uh, the younger generation that's coming up, whether that's children's ministry, and oftentimes very significantly with students. Part of that's our proximity to McMaster and more recently years uh, as Redeemer has grown, seeing Redeemer students come and, and, and others who are young adults. Um, and that's been really, really significant. And it's been significant in the life of Westside, but it's also been significant for me. So I can remember as a kid, when you're a kid, um, people who are in high school and here, university, are the people that you look up to. I can remember that. I remember as a kid running around here, and there was a group of university students, and there was a bunch of them that just decided that um, this was their home, this was their community. I could even tell as a kid that they got very close to each other and built these strong relationships. And uh, there has been, in many years, a whole bunch of students and young adults that have been part of this church. Uh, but then there's always a group of people that go a little bit deeper. They're the kind of people who... They they want to volunteer in different ministries, whether that's with kids or music or doing different things in the church. Um, they, they get into those small groups where they really grow. And here's the amazing thing is, is now after being here as a pastor for a long time, every once in a while I run into some of those people. I ran into someone like that not that long ago who is now, uh, has been for quite a while, a pastor. And uh, I ran into him and I knew him when I was a little kid and he was a university student. And so recently I saw him and, and we were kind of reminiscing. And he says, oh yeah, I remember you. Yeah, I remember you. We looked up to you guys. And uh, he told me just how influential Westside was in the formative years for him, in those years when he was a university student, that God really got a hold of him. And he told me that while he was at Westside, he found his group of people, people that helped him go deeper, people that supported him and cared for him and pushed him in his faith. And, and out of that, uh, over time, feeling that there was this call in his life to go into ministry. And it was amazing for me to go, I remember as a kid looking up to you because you guys were fun and you played sports. And every once in a while, you'd invite us kids to come along and go on a hike with you or, or do something fun or 
you were teaching our, our classes, or you became our youth leaders in, in high school ministry, and now to see what they're doing. And I have to tell you, that happens on a kind of a regular basis. I kind of cross paths with someone and go, oh, did you know, I, man, years ago, I, when I was a student and when I was a young adult, Westside was part of my story, and here's what God did through that. And that's super cool for me just to see how God has taken uh, people and in this formative time in their life really got a hold of them through a church community like ours. And then I think of my own experience as a young adult coming here and trying to sort out my life and, and my future and, and for me and my wife what that would look like and um, having a time where we did youth ministry here but then also started exploring what our, our ministry would be like as, as a young married couple and starting out pastorally and all the things that we learned and the people that came alongside of us and the that God grew us is really fantastic. And then, uh, you know, over the past 14 years or so, just, just looking at all, all the students that come through from Mac and young adults that are here, um, and every once in a while, just like I run into people who were here when I was a kid, uh, I run into people, or sometimes I get emails from people who have been here more recently, but have now uh, gone out into different parts of the world and are doing different things. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I went into a bakery, it's a little distance from here, um, but I, right, I go in and there's someone, she's running the whole place, and uh, I immediately recognize her, and she sees me, and she goes, hey, I don't know if you recognize me, but uh, I went to Westside when I was a student. I said, yeah, I do recognize you. And we had this conversation and just sitting there in the bakery, she's working and she's got these employees, but she's telling me about how influential Westside was in her spiritual growth and, and launching her into adulthood. And I got a free loaf of bread that day. <laughs> kind of cool. Um, but amazing just to see how, how God uh, has, again, used a community of people in this area to take people, whether they're kids, uh, youth, young adult, and to do something in those formative years that has lasted a very long time. And that's significant, and that's not by accident. That has always been something that, that through the ups and downs, there have been people here who have felt that God has called us to be conscious of how we can empower and equip the next generation, how we can care for those uh, who are growing up, Again, whether that's our kids right now in the back of this church, who there's tons of volunteers, and some of you are those volunteers who are just teaching them uh, in a, a way that meets them where they're at, age-appropriate, cares for them, brings them in little small groups so that they can talk and interact with what they've learned, uh, to connect with parents and to send us home with resources to be able to care for them, whether it's high school students or university students. And uh, I want to talk about that today and how important that is to the DNA of our church. And if you are a high school student, if you're a university student, a young adult, I want to tell you this. I just use the phrase, the next generation. But actually, if you're a high school student or university student, you are not the next generation. You are the now generation. And I want to let you know that you probably have a lot more influence in this community than you think you do. And I want you to know that if you've kind of been, oh, I'm not sure, maybe I just attend, maybe this is, uh, you know, not something that I really influence, but I'm influenced by, I want to let you know we want you to be a significant part and contributor in influencing this community, that this is your church here and now, that these perhaps are formative moments for you, that God is doing something in your life, that if you're open to it, if you're willing to, to open up your heart, your soul to what he wants for you, if you're willing to walk in community in that way, that these could be some of the most powerful years of your life as you're sorting out who you are and where you're going and the kinds of decisions you're going to make in the future. And if you're someone who's maybe uh, a little less emerging generation, a little bit older, been around a little bit longer, 
I want for us as we talk about um, these young adults and, and teenagers and kids today to consider what our role is in encouraging those people and creating a community where, um, where that is true, where um, the next generation or the now generation um, are given significant opportunities to lead in our church, to influence our church, to be our church. Because, this is what I think, aging is automatic, but growing up is not guaranteed. We're all getting older, every day. Nothing you can do to stop it. But growing up, maturing, is not guaranteed. That some of us, um, we got older, but we didn't grow up. Um, and I would love for us to say as a church, we want to be the kind of community that really uh, is, is intentional about growing up and about maturing. Because I think, and again, for those of us who have been around a little bit longer, one of the things that the generations coming up uh, are not going to put up with, are, we're show, the data shows it, and just the landscape of churches shows it, is that if there's no spiritual maturity, if there's no growth, if there's no authenticity, if there's no real deep spirituality that the generations coming up now, they're not going to put up with that. Not, they don't want to be part of those kind of communities. They are looking for something that is honest and vulnerable and authentic. And actually, those are all really good signs of spiritual maturity. And so today what I want to talk about is how do we get there? How do we mature just slowly over time, whether we are a little bit older or whether we're a little bit younger, but together to, to go on that uh, trajectory and, um, and explore what that looks like. And then uh, before I finish today, I have a really exciting announcement about uh, how we are investing in the next generation here at Westside. Sound good? Okay. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 today, if you want to follow along. We've been looking at parables, and we've been calling this series The Mysteries of the Kingdom, and that title comes from the text that we're going to be in today in Luke chapter 8. Um, it's a text about learning. It's a text about parables. It's a parable about parables. Uh, why does Jesus speak in parables, and what is the whole point of that, and how we're supposed to respond to that? And I want to connect that with how we learn, how we mature, how we grow up, because aging is automatic, but growing up is not guaranteed. So Luke chapter 8 says this, and when a great crowd was gathering up and people from town after town came to him, Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's a common way that sometimes the prophet would say, and if you really want to understand, you've got to listen a little bit harder, a little bit deeper. You've got to dive in, digest it, really try and figure it out. If you have ears, really try and hear this message, interact with it. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus says to them, uh, here are the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That if you really want to see, you'll be able to see. But for those who really aren't interested in changing, in seeing something different, in learning, they'll continue to be blind, they'll continue to be deaf. That's the challenge as we follow Jesus. Will we really listen? Will we really listen on a different level? That's what we'll talk about today. So then Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. Verse 11 says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. 
the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus is given the parable widely to a bunch of people. He said, if you really want to hear, if you've got ears to hear, then you'll hear. And then his disciples come and he says, okay, I'm going to explain to you these mysteries, the mysteries of the kingdom so that you can experience them. A mystery, as I've said before, is not something that is unknowable. It's something that if you'll follow the clues, there's always more to learn about. And that's what parables do. They help us lean in and learn more about God's kingdom, about what Jesus was teaching us and how to live and how to experience the life that he called us to live. So let's just look at what Jesus says is the uh, interpretation of his uh, parable. And the question for us here will be, uh, what kind of soil will we be? Where will there be soil that will allow for the seeds of the gospel or the good news of Jesus to grow? So there's four kinds of soil. Uh, first, we have, uh, just to break it down, the sower. The sower is God. The, the sower sows his seed, which is the word, or we might say is the good news. Uh, Jesus' announcement that the kingdom is now present, is now available. You can live in God's kingdom. And you have the sower who is, we see, generously sowing seed. Notice that in the different kinds of soil, the seed doesn't change. The sower doesn't change. The seed is liberally and generously sown in all kinds of different soils. And what changes, what does change that we have to lean into is the soil. And that's what we look at. So number one, we have hard soil. In this part of the world at that time, there would have been, most of the listeners would have been very uh, agrarian. They would have been farmers uh, mostly uh, or connected, you know, most families might have a farm and they would have all been sort of lined up next to each other. And one of the just very practical ways of living like that with farm after farm after farm and imagine you've got got fields with big crops um, and yet they didn't have necessarily roads or pathways like we might imagine today. And so to get through from farm to farm around your village uh, and to go places where there might not have been roads or paths is they made sure there were some. And so all these farms through different parts of their, their uh, fields would have had paths. And even if it was your property, it was just acknowledged and accepted that there would be paths that were for communal use. It wasn't really part of your land that you weren't supposed to plant crops on. You weren't supposed to till the soil so people could walk. So I could get through your farm to get to my farm or go into town or whatever it would be and vice versa. And so they would have these paths and we trampled down the path. We don't till it. If you're a farmer and you're going to sow some seed, normally what you do is you till up your soil, you'd break it all up, make it soft, and then you would sow your seed and then you till it again so that the, the seeds go deeper into the soil. But on the hard paths, there would be none of that. The hard paths is where you walk, not where you plant crops. That's where everybody would go by. So Jesus starts by talking about the hard seed and realizes that if a farmer was going to sow his seed generously, normally he wouldn't go to the path and throw it all over the path, but you might come close to the path, close to where it's been trampled down and it's hard and where the seed never actually goes into the soil. And you know that the seeds there are not going to grow and that's exactly what Jesus says. It's just going to sit there and then the birds are going to come and they're going to take it away. 
And then he connects the birds with the devil or the evil one or the accuser. And he says, this is what happens in the hard soil. The seed is there. It's a good seed. It has everything in it in order to create a crop, except it doesn't have the right soil. The conditions are not right for a crop to grow. Nothing's going to grow and you shouldn't expect it. So what's the the hard soil that Jesus talks about that is uh, easily plucked away. Now again, he mentions the devil that comes away and takes away the words of their, word of their hearts um, so that they don't believe and be saved. But the focus here is not on the devil. The focus is on the soil. The reality that the, the seed has been left there, that it never goes deep enough to do anything. And that's why it's so vulnerable. That's why uh, it's easily picked off. The word here for believe Actually, maybe better translated would be uh, have faith, really trust that there's, there's nothing that goes deep in and, and that this person, therefore, this, this soil doesn't allow for any salvation. Three different ways uh, that we might look at what the hard soil is and what it does, where it comes from. Number one, and, and by the way, the soil, so the soil is us, it's our soul. It's our level of receptivity. So here are three ways that our souls or our lives might be hard soil. Number one, pride. Perhaps this happens when we believe we don't really need help. I'm okay on my own. I can run my life. I'm strong enough to do whatever I need to do. I don't need to be dependent. I really don't need to trust in God or a God or someone, something in my life to look like we're self-sufficient. Like I can do everything on my own. I can be independent. Sort of this, this pride that just says, I'm kind of above all of it. I can do everything on my own. Snuffs out that real trust. You say, I don't really need to trust. I'm okay on my own. And so there's no belief. There's nothing that, that grabs hold deeper, a, a trust in God, and therefore there's this vulnerability. Second one, I think, would be intellectualism. And this is where it's important to look at that word that says believe, that they can't believe, they don't believe uh, and be saved. And sometimes some of us have made our faith uh, disproportionately intellectual. That everything we learn about the Bible just remains in our head. That we could boil down what we call our faith or our religious life with things that we believe, with doctrines, um, with, with interpretations, and you go, well, isn't that important? Shouldn't we engage our minds with the scriptures and with philosophy and theology and all the rest of it? And I would say, absolutely, you would. Except, here's the temptation, is that we can become so intellectual that we can get things with our head. We can believe things, but not really have faith. We can think things, but not actually have the depth of soil to let anything penetrate deeper than our head. And sometimes, uh, our, our faith is sold to us as completely intellectual, as long as you just believe all the right things. And yet, it might be that we're not really saved because we don't really have faith. We're not really experiencing the eternal life of God. We're just thinking a whole bunch of things. We get into arguments with people. We get arrogant that we think, I believe all the right things. I've got all the right interpretations. I've got it all figured out. I know, I know, I know. And yet there's, and here's the test of soils, no real life change. There's nothing deeper that makes us a more loving or compassionate or caring person. And so our intellect is a very good thing, but intellectualism can be very dangerous. And then the third thing simply is, is stubbornness, is when we really don't want to change. We just don't want to change. We're not ready to receive a seed. We're not ready for something to grow in our lives. And probably a lot of this comes from putting out a, a tough exterior. And when we do that, we have this hard shell that really is covering up from deep down fears and insecurity 
and vulnerability, a defense mechanism perhaps trying to protect ourselves because there's things that we don't want to go too deep into. We don't know if we can deal with. And so it's easier to have a hard shell. Let's not go too deep. Let's not get too vulnerable. Let's not drive into those parts of our lives that are very difficult. It's the hard soil. Secondly, we have shallow soil. So Jesus talks about um, the soil that fell among the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. This would be part, if someone had a farm, of your property that maybe you'd be more likely to build something on than you would try to grow something on. So you'd find it's very rocky, very rocky soil. There's, there's not barely any soil. There's nowhere for anything to really take root. So you might build something, but you wouldn't be a real smart farmer to expect that you're going to get great crops in those areas. Well, once again, the seed is sown liberally even among the rocky parts, but there's no soil because there, there's not enough moisture Even in those rocky areas, it might be that if it just rained in rocky areas, you might have little pools of water, just little pools, you know, where it would hold in the rock. And it's possible that, as this said, a seed could get enough water and maybe just enough soil to sprout out. But then when it gets hot again, it's going to wither because there's not enough moisture there. There's not soil that's going to continue to feed the water into the roots and, and grow a strong crop. And so when the moisture is gone, it withers up. It's not really there. It's shallow soil. What does that look like in our lives? Many of us have experienced this. Maybe it's zeal. This is, by the way, if you're young or you're young in faith, if something has is, is really changed quickly, this is a, a real something, a temptation that we got to look at. You see, you've maybe experienced it where uh, all of a sudden you get this, oh, you learn something about God. You have an experience. You go to a, a conference or a retreat or, or something happens in your life that pulls you close to God and you get so zealous and you know, oh, this is amazing and everybody has to experience what I experience and we're going to go change the world and we go gung-ho and everything's great mountaintop experience and then some time goes by and then life goes on and maybe hard times come all of a sudden that real excitement that was there and and that very well was, was very real but it just wasn't sustaining it wasn't enough we might talk about it. We talked about intellectualism that could make us uh, more more hard, but uh, emotionalism might make us more shallow. And you might say, just like your intellect, shouldn't we engage in our faith life with our emotions? And I would say, absolutely, it's a powerful tool. Of course we should. And if you don't engage emotionally, maybe that's something you should look into. And why am I not fully engaged? Is there part of me that, that I'm not uh, allowing God into? And yet, emotionalism can be scary. I've got to have a certain feeling. I've got to be on a certain high. Or I'm just going mountaintop to mountaintop. And yet, the problem with the shallow soil is there's just no space for roots. There's not enough nutrients to really make a strong plant. For many of us, I think part of that is, again, some of the fear to go deeper and to confront what's below the surface in our life, to face our fears or our hurts, our vulnerabilities, our wounds, some of the difficult stuff, but to allow the roots to go really deep, to allow those deep messages that God gives us that we are his beloved, that we live and everything that we have is a grace, is a gift. That forgiveness and healing is real if we allow the seed to go deeper and touch those places. It's difficult. And then Jesus talks about cluttered soul, and he refers to three things that clutter our lives. And many of us, I would say, and in our culture, live very cluttered lives. 
It's so hard not to live a cluttered life. And so Jesus gives us the picture of a, a seed that grows up. And again, there's, there's actually a real good plant that grows up. But also, there's these other plants with thorns. There's weeds. It's the idea that the, someone's life or um, the garden has not been properly cared for. And so you have all these other weeds coming up. And those weeds are competing for the resources, the nutrients that the plant needs. And the thorns are crowding out the good, healthy, beautiful, wonderful plant. And what are the thorns? What are the... Things that we compete for, our good selves compete for. Worries in this world? There's enough to worry about. Enough to worry about at work, at home, never-ending responsibilities, never-ending opportunities that we feel like we've got to provide a certain life for our family. We're busy, we're tired, we're stressed. There's lots and lots of noise. There's lots of expectations. There's lots of pressure in our lives. We worry about the worst things that could happen. We worry about if we could fail. We worry about if people don't accept us. So many things to worry about. We can feel very much like our minds and our hearts are cluttered. The voice of God has so much competition from so many voices that are telling us different messages about who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do and what life is supposed to look like for us. It can worry us. Of course, there's money. I know a lot of people who have felt the threat of having too little money. Never worry about that. We just don't have enough. It's very natural. Uh, I know almost no one who feels the threat of having too much money. And yet, it's more what Jesus talks about when he talks about money. It's more in the New Testament what they talk about. Paul wrote a letter to his uh, young protege, Timothy, and he said, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Oh, Many of us, I'm worried I don't have enough. I've always got to have more and more and more. How do I get more? How do I save more? How do I invest more? How do I live it up more? How do I have more? And Paul goes, you need to be worried that you might have too much, that it might be cluttering your soul, that your desire to have too much might be competing for the resources that God wants to use to grow your soul. That's interesting, isn't it? So convicting for a culture, not all of us, but many of us who have more than we need. But that money and possessions and things and materialism become something that clutters our lives and the way that we pursue more and more and more and more. And we never say, I have enough, maybe I have too much. Perhaps is one of the greatest, I would say, uh, is right up there because Jesus talks about money more than just about anything else. One of the greatest competitors for our soul, for our attention, for our loyalty to God and to what he wants to do in our lives. And then pleasures, just like so many things we've talked about. Not that pleasures aren't good, but always chasing the good feeling, being obsessed with comfort, or believing the very best of life is one where we never have to say no to our urges. So cultural for us. What is the good life? Being able to say yes to anything you want. Build a life where you can do whatever you want. I heard John Mark Comer, who's an author and pastor, say this. He wrote this in one of his books. He said, one of the things we have to realize is our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. And what do you mean by that? Well, it might be that we have extremely strong desires. We want pleasure. We want comfort. We want to say yes, yes, yes to all the things we feel like we, we, we want but the things that we want the most are not, or the things that we want the strongest are not the things that we want the most. I really want right now three desserts. It's the strongest desire I have. But it's not the deepest desire that I have. 
Because deeper than that, I desire uh, maybe a healthy lifestyle. I desire a longer life. I desire self-control, whatever it might be. But there's so many pleasures in life that seem so strong. And we think this is my deepest desire. This is what life is all about. And Jesus say, I warn you that perhaps some of these things, they may be really great things, but the things that are competing for your attention, competing for your soul. And the result is that we have so many competing desires that choke out what God wants to do for us. So many voices that we don't hear the quiet voice of God. So many pressures that we don't experience the rest of God. So then Jesus talks about the good soil. And he uses some words that I want to talk about. Um, He says, as for the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Honest means genuine, open, open to learning, rethinking changing, not hardened, but actual an authenticity before God to say, I'm open to you. Good, which has a range of meaning like honorable. Deep is one of the range of meanings of that word, which means to be vulnerable, to be thoughtful, to be reflective on a deep sense, to allow yourself to go to those deeper parts of your life from which uh, real good fruit grows. And then patient, being consistent, steadfast, enduring, not looking for the quick fix, get rich overnight, solve all my problems today, but instead this long and enduring day after day, take a long view of what life looks like and commit to just taking one step at a time, believing that in faith, God will be transforming us. And that's the good soil, the good, deep, uncluttered, free soil that comes through honesty and goodness and patience. I believe we have a God who is a generous sower. Throw the seeds everywhere. The question is, what kind of soil are we? Are we the kind of soil that will be open, tilled, soft, to allow the word to go deeper? That we would interact with the word of God in our minds, but also in our hearts. That we would engage our intellect and also our emotion, but we would let God uh, draw our roots deep such that his nutrients of the good word would flow into us. And to know that in the honest and good and patience of that, God will grow up a crop that multiplies a hundredfold. That the beauty of that is who we will become in God's life. And therefore, how effective we'll be. Aging is automatic. We're all getting older. Growing up is not guaranteed. We have to ask what kind of soil we are. Um, John, the book of John, uh, Gospel of John, starts right out by sharing with us that um, the Word has become flesh. And ultimately, how do we know what the Word of God is? We see the Word of God in Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. That when we say we want to be followers of Jesus, this is what it means, is to accept the Word of God, the seed into our life, and to say, I truly want to follow you. I want to become a disciple. I want to imitate your life. I want to do what you do. I want to live how you live. And that's what I want for for our church. That's how I want us to learn. I want us to grow, to be open to that, to be open to change, to be vulnerable and open and honest and enduring. And that's what I want for our children. That's what I want for my kids as I raise my kids in this community. Something that other people gave me when my parents raised me in this community. That's what I want for our high school students who are starting to engage either in the phase of life where those temptations and trials are coming. That's what I want for university students and young adults who are trying to figure out and make big decisions about who they're going to be for the rest of their life. For us to be the kind of community that fosters the seed of Jesus in our lives. And as we choose to be good soil 
that deep roots would grow, that his nutrients would get inside of us and grow us and transform us. So today I want to make an announcement about our investment in kids' ministry and, and in young adult ministry. Um, Zach Boot, many of you who will know, if you don't know, Zach most Sundays is in the back of the church. A big part of his portfolio as our ministry director has been to work with our kids uh, and to kind of run our kids' ministry. And you hear all the time just about how many kids are there. And I know so many parents have talked to us about how uh, amazing it's been to be part of that and to have um, just these amazing volunteers pouring into their kids and working with not just the kids, but how to connect with parents and families coming together so that we can help uh, teach our kids and invest in them. And that's great. Uh, and we've also come to the reality as important as our kids ministry is we also want to make sure we're investing in our young adults and our students uh, and so what we've done is we've asked Zach if he would actually shift some of his focus uh, into that young adult area and to work with students and to help create an environment here for those of you who are students um, to make sure uh, that, that there's this, this amazing community and that we're doing everything we can to foster uh, and, and care for and support uh, people who are in just such an important part of life and making decisions, as I said, about who they're going to be. And as he were, uh, kind of evolves into that role, we want to make sure that we're investing in our kids' ministry. And so today, what I get to announce is, we have just hired this week a children's ministry director. Okay, took a second. So Lauren, why don't you come up? I want to introduce you to Lauren Webster. Lauren has been with us uh, with her husband Brody and her children. Um, do we have the mic here, John? Uh, here we go. Lauren wants to say hello. We want you to see her. Lauren starts officially tomorrow. Very excited. Uh, and just stepping into this role. So Lauren, welcome. We are so excited to have you. Lauren comes to us with experience in a similar role. Um, and just she's excited to make sure that the kids program here continues to flourish and evolve and that our kids and families are supported. So Lauren, why don't you just say a quick hello to everybody? Yeah. Hi. Hello. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm I'm very excited. Um, there's a lot of you I know and a lot of you I don't know. So I'm most excited just to meet you. I might be more excited to meet your kids uh, and get to know them a bit more and just work with, yeah, all the people here already in the amazing places that they should be on a Sunday morning. And I'm just excited to jump in and support and, uh, yeah, work alongside everyone. So good. We're so excited to have you. Um, and I'm sure if you want to volunteer with Lauren, this yes. would be a great time to think through that and to sign up. Today. Take, go see her. She'll take your name. Make it easy to onboard you uh, and make sure that together we're investing. Can we, we're going to sing one more song. Can we pray together and pray for our children and our youth and our young adults? Pray for Lauren uh, and, and her ministry. She begins in this role. Heavenly Father, you've given us a great responsibility, our, our children and our youth and our young adults, and we don't take that lightly. Today, we pray that you would help us as a community and individuals to become more and more the kind of people who would be open to your good news that would hopefully invade our minds and our hearts and our lives and our relationships, that we would be willing to be open and honest and vulnerable, that some of the things that threaten to choke out your, your word and your voice in our lives, we would be willing to, to cut out, to prune back, to make sure that your work we allow to do in our lives, in our church, in our community. Thank you for the kids right now, God, who are in our program. And we pray that you'd be speaking to them in an age-appropriate way, growing them up to be followers of Jesus who love you and love the world around them. Pray for our teenagers, our high school, junior high students, uh, as well as university students. And we ask, God, that as they uh, are forging a path for their future, that they would find you to be 
so loving and merciful and compassionate that the seeds that you sow, they would allow to go deep within their hearts and their minds and their lives such that we would see your kingdom coming and growing a hundredfold in all kinds of different ways here at Westside and beyond. Thank you for Lauren, and we thank you uh, as she begins this role for bringing her uh, and her family to, to this point. We just ask that you would anoint her ministry and that in a powerful way that, that you would use her gifting and her effort and her, uh, her wiring uh, to help equip children and families continue to grow in you. And we pray that there would be so much fruit that would come from that, that we would see uh, anchors dropped in the lives of children and, and youth and young adults such that when difficult times come and when weeds grow up that threaten to choke at what you're doing, God, that you would always, always tether us to you, your presence in our life and your love. We pray in Jesus' name.